0: Let's pray together. Jesus, we believe that you are Savior, that you are everything, that you are who we need most and more of in our life. There's no other name in which we are saved from our sin. There's no other name in which we are changed in this life. And there's no other name in which we can have life eternal through, but your name, Jesus. We believe that every tongue will confess to you, that every knee will bow to you one day. So this morning, we, we have and we continue to confess your name as the name above all names. We continue and to bow our lives before you. So this morning, as we open your word, Lord, we believe that it is true, and we believe that we need it. So speak to us today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will, turn with me to Mark 6, 45 through 56. Mark 6, 45 through 56. It'll be on the screens, and there's a Bible in front of you. It should be in in a chair ahead of you. I remember it like it was yesterday. 1996, I was a senior in high school. It was football season. Now, if you can go back to those times, some of you are in high school now, but if you can go back just to the, the smells of football. I was in the locker room. My pads probably had never been washed since like 1961 right? There was 14 other guys odor inside deeply in those paths, layered like a tree with rings on it, right? There was, I was in there, I was with all of my friends and the coach walked in. When coach Stanley walked in the office, which he very rarely, when he walked in the locker room, he very rarely did. Everything got very, very quiet. And he walks in and he says, Ryan, your mother's here which is also like this, oh no, <laughs> right? Your mother's here. Um, now I grew up in a rural area and uh, in this kind of rural area, it was 25 minutes for us to drive to where I went to high school. And so my mom being there was kind, of a, it was kind of a big thing. And I walked out and my mom was in the hallway and we stepped into this little office, kind of like the tape room off to the side. And my mom said, Ryan, there's something I need to tell you. And I knew in that moment that there was a storm about to hit my life. And she said, your grandma is in the hospital, and we found out today she has cancer. It was a moment, now, little context, my grandfather had had a stroke about eight years prior He'd lost basically the ability to use one side of his body. Speech and walking was heavily changed. And my, my loving grandfather became a very angry man. And I lived close to my grandparents, and I would go stay with them frequently to help from the age of 10 to 18. So my grandmother was, she wasn't just like a, my Grammy, right? She wasn't... Just anybody, just not not like a distant grandmother that I saw. I mean, I lived with her. She was like a mom. It was a moment that from that moment on, and, and then it would be that next summer. I was about to start college as a freshman. My grandma passed away. But that began a storm in my life that I wasn't quite prepared for. What about you? When you heard me say that, what, what did it go to in your mind, the news? Was it the time you, your boss said, hey, I, I need to sit down with you? It was a moment that when he began to share with you the fears, everything, the storm, you knew it was coming. Maybe you had a moment with your mother or your father about their marriage. It was this moment of like nothing is going to be the same moment in your life where the storm was upon you. That's not the only storm, and I could give you about 10 other moments like this in my life, whether it was with my own kids, whether it was even a year and a half ago, in the same news, my brother sat us all down and said, I have, hate the C word, cancer. Storms come. Come. They're a reality in life, and whether these moments come, maybe it's again, with a boss, friend, coworker, son, daughter, mom or dad they are real, and they happen more than we would like. See today we are going to see the brokenness and the storms of our world in the text. But we will also see that Jesus is not aloof. And he is not powerless. But what we will see is he is aware. And what we will see in this text is he is powerful. But a lot of times when these situations come, they're much harder. Because when they come, we're all alone. See, the difference between 1996 and 2015 for me two years that I received very, very bad news in my life. The difference is, see, I had a Savior in 2015, but 1996 I did not. And I was very young. And there was a hopelessness inside of that young kid that I, I don't know if I could articulate to you today when I got that news in that side room in a hallway in high school. In 2015, I had the same news given to me by my brother, who, if you haven't been along that journey with me here, in December last year, he went to be with my Savior, his Savior. It's very, very different. Today, we are going to see the brokenness and the storms of this world, and we are going to see a Savior who meets us in those storms, and gives us what we need. Doesn't mean in our lives that we're not gonna have to row hard and it doesn't mean that our shins aren't gonna get bruised. But the storms are gonna come and when they come, what will our response be? Let's look at the text this morning. Mark 6, verse 45 through 56. I'm gonna read the whole thing and then we'll walk back through it. Reads immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Now, if you remember, right there, there had been five thousand gathered. Jesus took took very little fish, right, and loaves. He multiplied them, and so this is right immediately after that. The crowds had pressed in. We'll talk in a moment. So the crowds had pressed in around. He sent. The, sent them out in a boat. And after he had taken, verse 46, and after he had taken leave of them, so he left them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, this would have been between like 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them. And walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Great words there in red. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. Such a peculiar statement at the end of this about the disciples. By the way, the disciples, one of the beautiful things we have is we see men that one day will give their life for their Savior, but today they didn't even understand the loaves. They were increasingly growing in what it meant to follow Jesus and his identity, and once they were filled with the Spirit, they were men that literally... Gave their lives for his for his name. So, and he got in the boat with them. And when it ceased, they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened to we'll talk about it. Verse fifty three. And when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds. And wherever they heard he was, and wherever he came, in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. As many as touched it were made well. So in this text and in this series, what we've been talking about is is disciple. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what we know about the miracles, we know about the life, we know about what's shared here is what Mark is saying, what Jesus is saying is this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in this kind of section of Mark 6, we really see him express what it looks like, what it means to be a disciple. And so in this kind of understanding of what it means to be a disciple, there's, there's these things that that is pulled out for us here by Mark, titled it Disciple All of Life, Jesus wants every bit, every piece. He wants the entirety of our hearts and life. Maybe to say it very simply today, is the men that I've observed in my life that are disciples of Jesus and which are honorable and men that I would like to be like are men that see Jesus as supreme, that he is genuinely everything to them. They have no greater desire in their heart but to honor the one who is supreme in their life. Another thing I've noticed about people that are genuinely, truly disciples of Jesus, as I observe them and watch them, want to be like them, is not only are they people who see Jesus as supreme, but they're, they're people that, that truly believe that Jesus is everything to them. That he is the one who has redeemed them, who has saved them, who has given them any bit of wisdom, any bit of insight, anything they have, their Savior has granted to them. They recognize that he is supreme, And he's truly their everything. And in this, what we'll see is kind of moving, Jesus moving us, moving people toward that. We see some things about being a disciple. The first is all of life focus. All of life focus. It says focus, there's this, in the the, the beginning of this text, in verse 45, focus on obeying with immediacy. It says in 45, immediately made his disciples get into the boat. And go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. So in, in immediately, and so what was happening here, um, maybe the picture would be this maybe in your mind. You Remember the Cavs, right? They, they win the championship. There's a huge parade. They say that, they, they said there was 800,000, but some of the police officers, others, maybe some of you were there. They said there was up to 1.3 to 1.8 million people in downtown, uh, downtown Cleveland. Remember this? And and the players, right? LeBron had his kids in the car, and they became nervous. Why did they become nervous? Because the crowds began to press into the streets, and they got so close that they began to be afraid because there were so many people. We're talking five to 10,000 people. They're on a lakeshore, and they've just fed all these, and everybody wants what everything from Jesus. And they begin to press in upon him. And so as they begin to press in upon him, Jesus observes this, and he says, what? Hey, get in the boat and get out of here, because it's getting dangerous. And so Jesus, in this text, what we see is that he knows what the disciples do not know. And what do they do? They obey him immediately. Just so you know, immediate, immediate obedience is always the right thing to do. Another way I've heard somebody say it like this, half obedience is always disobedience. We obey Jesus immediately when we hear him, when we hear his commands. Now, one of the things kind of tucked underneath this, it, what if, what if you knew someone that, that, that truly who knew all things? What if you knew someone who truly knew what was better for you than what you knew for yourself? Would you trust them to listen to them to care for you? The answer is obviously what? Yes. Church, hear this today. There is a God who knows you, who knows what's better for you than you do yourself, and he can be trusted. There is one that sees all things, that knows all things. Maybe think about it like this. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where there was an angle that no one else could see, and if everyone would listen to you, or if one person would listen to you, their life would be better and different? Have you ever had this moment? If you have children, you're like, yes, every moment of every day of their life, right? With our children, we see this. There are certain things that we see, hey, you're going to keep having a relationship with this kid who's mean to you all the time. You come home crying, you come home hurting. And so what mom or dad sees is, hey, you need to distance yourself from that relationship, right? It's something simple like this. So you need to distance yourself from that relationship because you're going to continue to get hurt in that. And, but, the, but their need and their desire for people to like them, they're going to run back there. Why? Because they don't see what's best for them. Why do I know that? Because I did it myself. I felt the pain of it. I felt the harm of 38 years this week I've been walking on earth for some of you you might not think that's a long time it does feel like a lot long a really long time to me um, I have my own story of how I got hurt this weekend again so uh, but but in this there I have a life bank right I have experiences and I have things in my life where I have learned and so what helps me parent well is pushing that back down so here's my My message to those of you who are underneath your parents' rule and reign in your life, sometimes your parents don't hate you. They're just trying to care for you. Because they've experienced things that you haven't. Dan's like, hey, girls, listen up. (laughs) And sometimes your dad's just being mean, but, you know. (laughs) That's not true, ever. Right, girls? So... But, but this is true, but we see it, think about it with people in relationships. You see someone walking into a relationship, a dating relationship, and you see how the person treats them, but they so want to be in a relationship. Maybe it's not even about the person, and everybody around them is saying, I can see what's about to happen to you, don't do it. And what do we do? What do they do? They'll, they just continue on it, because really no one can have as good of a vantage point of my life as I can. See, this, this like overwhelming spiritual and this, this is just normal things. We should listen to each other. we need each other. Parents, you know, children, adults, almost adults, whatever in this room, we've got children, all these you need, you need people older than you that have walked the road. That's called wisdom being spoken down into your life. We need that. Right? I need that in my life. I need some of you old people to help me out a bunch, right? I just offended somebody. email, uh, if you have any problems, email danc at (laughs) ncchapel.com. And so we need people in our lives. um, We absolutely do. Without a shadow of a doubt, we need people in our lives to help us because people have vantage points from where we can't see. See, what's universal for all of us is there is one who has a vantage point in which none of us can see. And that's our Father in heaven who loves us and cares for us in ways that we don't even know. And I'm telling you this morning, he can be trusted. You don't have to make sense out of all your circumstances because he's doing a greater work in this world than we even know. He is doing a thing. Jesus has and will and always will do one thing, and his desire is that the Father might be glorified in our life. And in the storms and the struggles of life, I believe, and what I've observed in people is the times that I see people glorify God most is when their shins are getting hit and when they're at the oars of their life and they're struggling through a difficulty. And as they are, they're pointing people to Jesus saying that he is good, he is sufficient, he can be trusted. Have you ever observed someone do this in life? It's beautiful. It's really one of the most beautiful things to watch people do have faith and trust that there's someone that's doing larger things in this world than me, and I don't understand it, and I don't have to. He is watching over us. He's caring for us, and so we, we need to focus on obeying with immediacy because we trust, we have faith that there's one far above us that understands this. and then second, we need to focus on what Jesus modeled. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus didn't just kind of get away from me disciples. You've been bugging me. I just need a little bit of me time, right? What Jesus did is he went up. Here's a leadership principle. If you lead people, you need, to separate, you need to separate yourself from people and you need to spend some time with the Father because from the Father where strength is found. And what Jesus modeled all through his ministry, he was 100% God, 100% man. But what Jesus modeled to us was an intimate walk with the Father. And in this, he presses into the Father. And there's this There's this bigger thing that what we see Jesus model and what we need in our life. And this is being comes before doing. Intimacy comes first and out of our obedience comes, uh, out of intimacy, obedience comes with the right motive. And so it works like this in our life is that if I do things for God, what will he do for me? accept me, right? And we live under this notion that I have to do things and do more and do more for God. And if I do more and I do more for God, then what will he do for me? He will love me and he'll accept me. But see, this isn't what God asks or requires from us because I can't do anything to get close to God. Nothing. Only Jesus can bring me into right relationship with God. And all of my doing... All of my doing, although doing is not a bad thing, we are saved unto good works, we should do good, but doing, coming from the right place, and so it might work like this in our lives. Say there's this really, really mean person that works in your office or you work with in your life. This really mean person, it's a cubicle next door, it's a boss somewhere around, and every day you go into work and you say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I need to be a Christian today, and so this really mean person I'm going to love I'm gonna So I had to, when, I was, I, when I was I had a, a job at, at Great American Insurance, and I worked in the office one summer when I was in college. There was this lady that worked there, and she had sprained her ankle, and I had to push her. She would she would literally, she would yell over the cubicle to me, and I would have to. She'd be like, Ryan, I need to go to this office, and I would get her office chair, and I would push it, <laughs> right, and I'd push it into the boss. I set her there. She goes, I'll let you know when I'm done. And I would walk away. And I'm like, I can't stand you. (laughs) Like, I really, (laughs) it's really hard to love you, Connie, right? And so in this, and inside of me, I could have been like, I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm going to push her around, and I'm going to smile, and I'm going to say, oh, you're 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 so great and say nice things, but I don't. But in my heart, what do I feel? I don't think you're great. I can't stand you. I really wish that when I wheeled you into the boss's office, he would say you're fired and never come back again. Like that's how I felt in my heart. Don't. If you're judging me right now, whatever. You've done this right. (laughs) Your heart's there. You've felt this way before. And so it's this moment like, but, but what's the issue? The issue is my heart. But see, when I have a gospel approach to my life, when I rest in Jesus, when I'm being in him, what happens is this, is Jesus, you have loved me and cared for me. You loved me and cared for me so much that you, you were beaten and you were bruised. When I disregarded you and I had no respect for you, Even in that, you willfully went to the cross for my sin, for my rebellion, for my meanness toward you, for my disregard for you, for my rebellion from you. And Jesus, if you could do that, if you could love me in spite of me, to being beaten and bruised and dying on the cross, I can love Connie today. And I can, from a genuine place, not do it because I'm a Christian and that's what I'm supposed to do, and, you know, God's happy with that if, my, if, if I do the right things. See, I, I don't think God would be happy with me at all with Connie because the motive in my heart was really hate. I was just putting on a smile on my face to do it. But when the gospel penetrates our hearts, a different motive comes out. Because of Jesus, I'm going to love her. See, this translates not just into work, into marriage, into parenting, into friendships, into every piece and part of our life. What he is looking for is us to rest in him, to remember what he has done, and let that flow out of our relationships. And so they obeyed Jesus, and what we see Jesus is he modeled being before doing. He modeled resting in the gospel so that out of our heart would flow good works that genuinely and truly glorified our God. And at the very heart level of motive, are you with me? This is really important. So, so we see him do this, so all of life focus, and then we see all of life understanding, or maybe around that identity. So first we see the identity of the disciples, the genuine, the true identity of the disciples displayed. When they got pressed, what was happening inside of them comes out. It says in verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. So they're out alone. Jesus is not with them. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So the picture is they're straining, they're working diligently. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Now, notice that this is kind of this uh, phrase. It's kind of like, oh, Jesus made a mistake. Right? That's the, the first glance of it. What it seems is he meant to pass by them, but it's like hide and seek. He, he tried to hide, but they found him. It's not, that's not what this is saying. It was not his intent to be seen by them. That would maybe be more of an idea of what's happening here. And what's beautiful as you study Jesus is you see his complete divinity and healings and miracles, and you see his complete humanity. And this is one of those moments where you see the intention of his heart was not to be seen by them. But they observed him. They saw him. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Now, we kind of bust on the disciples all the time. It's like, how could they be so dumb? Why did they do this? But, I mean, it is a little creepy, right? Like, you're in a storm, and there's a dude walking on the water. I mean, that would, would that not astonish you a little bit? Okay, let's just, just, like, let him off there. Hardening of hearts, maybe not so much, or us. We shouldn't do this. But, but this is a moment where they were astonished, right? there's a man walking on water, and this is a real factual, true thing that happened. This isn't some sort of story conjured up. Jesus walked on water. And so he walks on, and they were ghosts and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, "Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid." And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. They were shocked. See, the identity of the disciples were still based on themselves, on their own capability. It was not on the person of Jesus, of who he was and what that meant for them because they were his disciples. So then the identity of Jesus, again, even more revealed, for they did not understand about the loaves, for their heart, hearts were hard- hardened. And even going back, that they saw Jesus move in so many miraculous ways. Even in the most miraculous of feeding thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And at this point, it is this miracle referred to as one of the most astonishing miracles that in raising of those from the dead? These two miracles are, are highly exalted amongst the disciples. And we'll see this later in their writings. But the identity of Jesus, see, they didn't understand who it was. They were talking about. And I think this is true for many of us. We don't understand fully who we are dealing with in regards to Jesus. I mean, who we're dealing with in regards to Jesus is he can make the wind stop. He can call the dead to be raised in the snap of a finger. Someone touching his garments, he is so holy, we're healed. Jesus is powerful. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is unparalleled. There is none like him, and there will never be another like him. Jesus is powerful. And they saw it, eyewitness, and they missed it. And how much many of us who don't even see it eyewitness and will completely miss it with our lives. The power of our Savior It is present, and it is real, and it is available to each of us. See, I may have life crashing in around me. And the question when life becomes crashing, will I believe that which is true? See, the disciples maybe saw it like this. The waves are coming, everything's against him, and they they say in their own hearts, God is not able The world is out of control. Hope is lost. Jesus, as he was walking, God is in control. He is directing my steps. He has control over all things. Us, where do we fit in the grid of storms, struggles, brokenness, Maybe much more like the disciples at times in our lives. We say things like God is not able. This world is out of control. And hope is lost. As quick as a news anchor tells a story. See, the storms and struggles of life are real. And they're going to rage because sin entered this world and it will never stop doing what it does and that is destroying until Jesus returns. There is a real storm and struggle. But see, out of our behavior, our belief is displayed or out of our belief, right, we behave. Out of our understanding, we, we, we behave and we act in our lives. See, Christ stepped down. He defeated sin, death, hell. He rose on high, and today he is a very present present help in this world, and we can rest as we remember with soft hearts our Savior and what he has done on our behalf. But see, what, what we see happening, and the principle underneath all of this, is if you are going to follow Jesus, difficulties are going to come. And when they do, he is going to be there Beside you, he is going to come and say, do not be afraid, I am with you. But that doesn't mean you won't strain at the oars. It doesn't mean that your shins aren't going to get bruised when when the rough seas come in our lives. But he will come and he will be with us and he will take us through it. See, out of what we believe comes our behavior. What do you believe about Jesus? Jesus. Do you believe that he is the all-powerful one? Do you believe that he can meet you in the midst of whatever storm, whatever trial, whatever struggle you are in and be very present with you and give you everything you need to go through it? See, the waves, they come. And so there's two things. The reason maybe what I'm saying right now you don't understand. One might be that I'm not articulating it well enough. Or the other would be because you have a hard heart. We don't talk about this a lot. It says it over and over in scriptures: hard and soft hearts. People who have soft hearts to the Lord, they honor Him, they glorify Him, they see Him, they're sensitive to Him. But people with hard hearts, they accuse Him. They live in fear. They don't trust They explain things that must have been something else that wasn't God. Do you have a hard heart toward God? See, I can't fix that. No one can fix that. That's something that you have to look into yourself. What's challenging about a hard heart is even preaching about it right now. You probably aren't hearing me. Because your heart is too hard to even hear. I believe one of the greatest prayers you can pray is, God, please, give me a soft heart for you. And I don't think that's true for those in this room that have hard hearts. I think it's true for all of us. It help my heart not to be hard toward you. Help my heart to be soft to you, that I hear you, that I respond to you. See, a hard heart comes when we just disobey him, disobey him, disobey him as a perpetual, habitual way of life when we don't have an understanding of who he is, when we don't press in with intimacy to him. See, the disciples had a hard heart. They didn't understand. Now, what's wonderful is one day we will see them have incredibly soft hearts to our Lord and they will be diligently faithful. But in this text, it says their hearts were hard because they didn't even understand the loaves. They didn't understand the power of the one that they were with. So today, last, we see not only all of life focus, all of life understanding, but all of life clarity. It says in verse 53, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. So they pull up to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. They see the person of Jesus and what happens. And, they, and, and they, the people recognized him and ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds. And wherever they heard he was, the miracles began to happen. They saw Jesus as a healer. And they came and said, Jesus, heal, 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 help us. And then they see him as the son of God. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. All of life clarity, and this is simply this, coming to a conclusion in our lives of how you will view the person of Jesus. Do you have clarity on who you you believe Jesus is? We can say with our lips all day long the right answer, but in the deepest places of our heart, who do you believe he is? And out of your life, out of your behavior, how is that shown to be true? Example would be this. I can tell you all day long, I love my wife. She's awesome. She's the best thing ever. I love her so much. I love how she loves me. And I can say all the stuff. I can make you cry about her, probably. Right? That's what public people that speak. That's what we do. We can make people cry. I could do that probably. But in my heart, what I could believe is. I don't think she cares about me. I don't think she really loves me. I think she's stuck in our marriage. Is that going to change how I treat her today? How I act toward her in private? Yeah, because the clarity, the conclusion I've come about her heart, it's going to affect. If I deeply believe in my heart that Debbie Johnston is not a good intentioned woman who doesn't have my best intention in mind, is that going to change how I see her, how I view her, how I act toward her? Like, clearly, yes. Who you believe Jesus to be, who you genuinely think he is, what you believe he has done, what you believe he is capable of, will affect how you view him and how you treat him. My wife is awesome, and she loves me a lot, and I'm not just saying that. So, Deb, we're good, right? That was just illustrative. Okay, okay illustrative. And that can be in any relationship, right? How we view that person, right, can form. I mean, have you ever done this wrongly in your life? Where you think someone's out to get you, someone's going to wrong you, and you behave and treat it like this, all of a sudden you find out something completely different. I hope one of the things that you've heard today as you've come here is that there's a Savior, his name is Jesus, and he clearly loves you. And he loves you so much that he came to this earth, he stepped down from heaven, and died the death you and I deserve. He paid the penalty on the cross that could not be paid on our own. He stretched his arms out wide and was nailed to a cross and died for you and me. Jesus loves you. He loves all people. And he displayed that by dying on the cross. And he needs to do nothing else than that. See, he didn't finish. He didn't stop there. See, Jesus is still moving and at work in this world. And when the storms of our life come up, he steps in and he says, I'm with you. And one, I can just tell you that from the truth of the scripture, and I believe that this word is true, and I see that he does that even in this setting. But I can tell you personally from experience how he has stepped in the struggles of my own life, and he has been a very present help in trouble when I don't have answers, when I can't get through when it hurts too bad. He's there with me as I'm crying in the corner. And although I am very weak, I am excessively strong with him, holding me, guiding me, and leading me. So what's your conclusion about Jesus? This text today, we see he is caring for us and we are not alone. He is powerful and he can handle our struggle. He is healer and he can bring renewal in our lives. He is God, holy, set apart and fully capable of doing immeasurably more than we could ever think, dream or imagine. He has power over all things, and we can trust him. And then we need to let his identity speak louder than our situation. His words speak louder than our situations, and his death, his burial, his resurrection, his reign, inform us mostly about who he is, that we might live fully for him. Make no mistake, Jesus is asking for all of our lives. He's worthy of us giving all of our lives too, and he's the only one that can be trusted to have all of our lives. Jesus loves you. He loves me. He cares for us. He wants to do immeasurably more for us than we could ever dream of wanting for ourselves. And he wants to meet us in the brokenness of this world, and he wants to walk with us through it. Today, will you surrender? I think this is a word re surrender, rededicate, trust him in greater ways in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your love and your grace. We believe. Today, that you are powerful and that you are mighty. We believe that you know, you know more than we could ever know about our own lives. That even though we don't understand our circumstances or situations, Lord, your counsel, your leadership, obeying you, Lord, help us to do so. Because as, as the psalmist said, we know that you lead us into paths of righteousness. Lord, we, we, we know that, Lord, our, our lives, Lord, often lose sight of you. Lord, help, help us to be captivated by who you are more than anything else and to live our lives for you. Lord help us to have clarity on you who you are and bank everything on it that we might live for your glory in your ways with our life. So Lord help us to today whether there's those in this room that are in the midst of a storm maybe it's a day away or years away Would you help us to conclude today that you meet us in the storm, that you are capable of unthinkable things in our lives. Help us to trust in you. So Father, as we sing, continue to move amongst us and help us to continue to glorify you, to think upon you, and to, to make decisions you're calling us to from your word today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, and as you stand, we're going to sing. These altars are open for you to come, and maybe there's a, there's a storm that's just raging in your life right now. And you just need to come and kneel down before him and say, I'm, I'm laying this before you. Maybe for some of you, there's a past storm that's come that you didn't walk through well, and you just want to come and confess and and get right with God this morning, right at these altar steps. Invite you to come. If you've not given your life, Lord, invite you to come. Talk to me, talk to Dan. Just kneel at the altar and and give yourself to God. But whatever he's asking you, don't leave without responding in obedience. Where you are, right here in the front, let's sing together.